0: you're hoping to do today as we unwrap the second of our four gifts that we are highlighting this particular Christmas season. We've entitled the series Simple Gifts um, because they're simple in that these these names are very familiar. The gift of joy that we covered last week. Uh, How many of you guys liked to laugh at church last week? I mean, it was just fun. I mean, because God has given us incredible joy and a great expression of that joy is incredible laughter. Um, But, you know, today is like going to the gym and working out your core muscles. Now, working out core muscles is not always very fun. It's not always very glamorous. In fact, many who work out, they kind of like to do those muscles that we can see. And it's like, man, biceps and chest and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's the core muscles that are so important. And those who do not work out your core many times find that you'll start having pains in other parts of your body because your core, the very core of you, those muscles are weak. And because those muscles are weak, it has an effect on the rest of your body. Well, I think that's how today's subject matter is. Worship. Worship can be such a very familiar term. Um, But today we're going to unpack the gift of worship and really press into this question, what is worship? I know so many times we limit it, as the video said, to an experience that we have here on a Sunday morning, but worship is so much bigger than that, and we learn a lot about worship by, you know, some of the characters that you might have in your nativity set, which are the wise men. And so we're going to cover that story today, and I'm going to really focus in on only one part of that story because a few years ago I did a deeper dive into the gifts and the meaning of the gifts and the nature of those gifts. But today I think we learn a lot about how we can answer this question, what worship is, what an expression of worship is. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, we are going to read verses 1 through 12, but again, really focus on um, verse 11. Um, and so with that, um, please stand for the reading of God's word. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, as we open up your word now, Father, open our eyes to the importance of the truth And the relevance of the truth that is contained in these uh, verses, Lord, open our eyes to a bigger view of who you are, because the truth is all of us are going through hard things. None of us is immune from the hard things in life. There's something about Christmas that just magnifies good and also magnifies the negative. And so, Father, today we pray that we can come today with open hearts, ready to hear from you, not from me, but from you, Lord we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You know, observations concerning these guys, these guys that we read about were magi, and they had come from what was believed to be Babylon. And in Babylon, that was about 800 miles away. So think about an 800-mile journey If they were on camels, they would probably be at a pace of about 20 miles per day. How many of you have ridden a camel before? None? Okay. I have. It is not fun. So for about 20 miles a day would have taken them 40 days to uh, be able to to travel this kind of distance. So what would lead to such a journey? Well, let, let's, let's, uh, let's investigate this here together. Um, the first one is this. Their study led to conviction. Their study led to conviction. It is believed that Daniel had the scriptures of the prophets, and Daniel was also a wise man in Babylon. Again, he was a Hebrew that was taken in exile, and he was distinguished among his peers and was put in places of prominence there in Babylon. And so here, these scriptures, these prophets, had prophesied all of the signs that would come together. And what I love about these magi, and that is they were scientists. They were ones who studied And they were also those of faith because the scriptures had really informed them and they were convinced based on the scriptures and the signs that they saw in nature. And I think, uh, man, what a beautiful thing. We're going to study that in our journey in the book of Genesis starting in January, And that tragically through time, science and faith have taken separate journeys, which I think is so unfortunate because I think what Romans 1 says is this, that the heavens declare the glory of God and that nobody is without excuse, that God has made himself and has revealed himself just in the beauty and the complexity of his created order. I mean, just think of you guys. Look in the mirror, how complex you are, how beautiful, how wonderfully designed you are. Nobody here is an accident. You've been designed and created by God exactly the way he has created and designed you. But you know, um, as we talked about last week, the angels revealed something incredible that was so good that the shepherds left their sheep to go to see this person this capital p person in person in the very same way these wise men from 800 miles away they saw the signs and they said the signs are so spectacular that truly this is something significant so their study led to conviction and their conviction led to the 800 mile journey i mean that's very significant because as we read through the story, this is what I want to contrast for you. Twice we saw the word worship, that these wise men came to worship. They are coming to express their worth, that this one that they are coming to is worth that kind of journey, worth the gifts that they were going to bestow, that he was worth it. Now you have, in contrast, one like Herod, who got his scribes and say, hey, you know, you guys are asking a question. I don't know the answers to that. Let me get the religious leaders. Those religious leaders come. They open through the scroll of Micah, and they go, wow, this one is to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was only about five miles away from Jerusalem. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about here these Gentile pagan wise men who studied these prophets back from um, just 700 years prior. They're studying these prophecies and they see something amazing that was worth the journey, 800 miles. They come to Jerusalem. And the scribes in Jerusalem said, oh, okay, here's the sign. You guys said you saw the signs? Okay. Well, can you now just go five miles? And if you see this baby, just come back and report it to us. They could not take that five-mile journey. That there is nothing that moved their heart about the scriptures. And I find how true that can be today. People I know, some of, unfortunately, the most joyless people can know the scriptures, can win all kinds of Bible quizzes, and yet it's like, where's the joy? The joy comes from actually beholding, actually seeing. Actually, it takes some work. It's core muscle work. It's going to take a little bit of effort, but it's cooperation. It's training with the Holy Spirit of God to take the journey and what does this journey lead to this is what i want to focus in verse 11. it says in going into the house they saw the child with mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him i want you to understand that maybe underline that in your bible they fell down and they worshiped him Now, I want you to understand that theologians agree that these wise men did not get here to this place to see this baby king until Jesus was close to two years of age. Now, I want you to think about that because in our manger sets, you have the little baby in the manger and you've got wise men bowing down and giving gifts to this little baby. Now, question for you, how many of you know any (laughs) two-year-olds? Okay, I remember when Tammy and I were married and we were uh, um, in a restaurant in San Diego. Um, We were seeing just these little kids, these toddlers, and they're running all over the place, just wild and crazy. And I said at that time, man, when I have a kid, you know, you've been there. You've done that too. You go, when I have a two-year-old, man, they are really going to behave. You know, this toddler really going to behave. And then guess what? We ended up having a couple of them. And it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is a little bit more difficult. Now, I want to bring that to light because that is about the age Jesus was when these wise men came to offer gifts. Now, I want you to think that puts a whole different kind of twist because now I kind of picture Mary going, hey, Jesus, come on, no, calm down. No, these guys have something to offer you. No, calm down. Yes, I know they were late. That's why these guys were men, not women. Women would have asked for directions. Guys, they, 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 they got the sign, they started in the right direction, but then they started rationalizing and going, oh, well, if this is the king, he's gonna be born in Jerusalem. And so they stopped following the star. They went to Jerusalem. And uh, no, a woman would have asked for directions, gotten there right on time, and would have cleaned up the place. Not just given gifts, but also love language of cleaning up the place. No, these were dudes, these were guys. They got there late, they offered their gifts. But here it has that even before a two year old, these guys bow. And they worship. Two-year-old. And I just think here is just the mystery of this two-year-old. That he is the majesty of God. With the meekness of man all bundled up into one. Now they don't always understand. I'm sure he just looked like any boy. He didn't have like this halo over his head or anything like that. Here they are offering these gifts, these gifts. See, and I just think, what a beautiful picture of worship. So what is worship? I dared to kind of put it into a definition like this. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done expressed in the posture of our heart that drives how we live and what we say. This is not just a Sunday thing. This is at every moment of every day. And trust me, none of us is perfect at this. I am not perfect at this. None of us is. But true worship is where God has our hearts. Unlike the scribes who knew the scriptures, God didn't have their hearts. They knew all of the answers for these wise men, but they didn't even dare go five miles to check that out and see if now was the time. They didn't do it. When I look through the scriptures, there is some Hebrew words and there's some Greek words, I think that are different expressions of worship because all of us can have our tendencies. Some of us love to praise and worship in song. Others love to praise and worship God by giving testimony at what God has done. There's a bunch of variety of expressions, so let me give you a list. Worship terminology in the scriptures, the most common and frequent is the Hebrew word shaka, shaka. Can anyone say shaka? Shaka. Not shaka khan. I mean, keep the 80s back where the 80s belong. Uh, No, shaka. Shaka is mentioned over 170 times in the scriptures. And look what Shaka means to bow down. To bow down. In fact, that word was first in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham has taken Isaac and the journey up the hill. And he says, we are going to worship. We are going to bow down. We're going to build an altar. We're going to bow down. But then in Psalm 95, 6 that we read at the opening of service, let us worship and bow down. That is the most common phrase because I think it's a picture. It's a picture of truly what worship is. It is bowing down and again we 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 just don't take this posture very much do we as a culture i'm just saying this culture does not encourage this when are we as a culture encouraged to bow down i mean i got on a knee when i proposed to tammy i mean that was kind of like hey you know Man, you do it for me, babe. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. Um, man, that, that's kind of kneeling, but we, we don't do, there's just not a lot of this. We don't have a king that we um, you know, come down and bow before, but see, Barak means to bless, that we acknowledge. I know in my journaling yesterday morning, I was just I was writing my own Psalm, and just say, Lord, here's who you are. Here's what you have done. Here's the greatness of your name. Um, but barak means to bless and halal means to boast. It's, it's halaling, that is what we are doing today as we come together with the family of faith. We are just, we, we are shining, why? Because of who we gather to lift high their name. Now, Greek words, proskuneo, this is a beautiful word, means to kiss the hand as a token, means pros, and that is to approach, Kaneo is to kiss, so to approach in, in a way that there is this picture of closeness. And so there's this, this close intimacy, this token of reverence. Other words there are to serve and to present. You know, Romans 12, one and two, it just says, man, we come and we are a living sacrifice, present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, Holy and pleasing to God. Man, these are forms of worship. When anyone signs up to serve, we've got to get it out of our mindset that we are serving a ministry leader who is tasked with leading that particular ministry. You've got to see it as no, we are serving the Lord. He says, When you have done this to the least of these, you have done it unto me. We've got to have that worship mindset even as we are serving. So, Here are three reasons to worship this Christmas. Three reasons to worship. And and this hopefully might prompt you um, as you kind of put those beautiful things, you know, in the growth guide to put in the boiling water to have this aroma, have this fragrance. Why we worship, it's a fragrant aroma to God. But not only to God, it's a fragrant aroma to um, those around you. So the first is this, kneel in honor. That's what these wise men did. They they knelt in honor. And I think so many times, and this is as true for you as it is for me. Man, I, I tell you this idea of how do you come before the Lord in honor when he doesn't do a lot of what I would prefer him to do? I mean... I think so many times it can be in our culture reinforced that, that you are the center of the universe and everybody around you must do exactly what you say. And, and if that doesn't happen, then there's huge judgmentalism. And why there's judgmentalism, why there's lack of forgiveness, why there are all of those kinds of things is because we fail to treat the Lord with the honor that is due his name. You know, I cannot harbor unforgiveness. I can't do that because the Lord says, no, uh, your unforgiveness is a chain on you, not the one that you're choosing not to forgive. No, you are the one. You are the one locking yourselves up in those own, those, your own chains. Um, but, you know, we've got to trust the Lord in those things. And I just say, well, I don't want to trust the Lord in that. It just feels too good to harbor this bitterness, to harbor this resentment. And our Lord says, no, no. In the same way that you forgive others, the Father forgives you. I mean, that is pretty amazing when the Lord Jesus Christ said that. He says that we are to kneel in honor And I do believe true worship, and this is what we have got to continue to do as a church family, I think better and better, and that is really come with this expectation that I am going to meet with God with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. There is that expectation. I have that expectation. I have people say, man, it's so great to see your enthusiasm. My enthusiasm is because I'm excited. I've come with great expectation. I don't come expecting to be like, well, they better entertain me. They better have the songs I like. They have, No, it's just like, Lord, I am coming to present to you the one of honor. You are the audience. We are the participants. Everything that happens up here is to help really prompt us for us to be worshipers to the Lord, but we've got to keep remembering who is it that we are honoring. We are honoring the one who made the heavens and the earth. That's the one we are honoring, but our culture says, no, nope, nope, that happened by chance. Trust me, our hearts will always go, God has designed you and I to be worshipers, our hearts will always be drawn to worship someone or something. I was reading about Taylor Swift and this heiress tour that she is on. She makes $13 million in the evening because of the crowd she draws. And the average ticket price, I think I read, was twelve dollars or $1,300. The average ticket price. That means some are paying way more than that. And maybe there's a few under that. But it is amazing They are saying that her tour will infuse about $5 billion into the economy. Why would it infuse that much money into the economies in which she's having all of her concerts? It's because People will, in preparation for a Taylor Swift concert, many times go and get the clothing and all that kind of stuff that's fit for a Taylor Swift concert because she might see me and I want to make sure that, man, I am wearing something that is just really cool and trendy or whatever. Now, that's not everybody. I'm just saying this is what happens when we give ourselves over to worship. It's the worshiping of our time, of our, our, att- our, our attention, our, our treasure. And for some of you who are tending to be a little bit judgmental now to Taylor Swift fans, no, don't be. Because, like, I'm a fan of college football. I'm a huge fan of college football But my heart breaks when I see and read stories like Texas A&M, who fired their coach Jimbo Fisher, and in firing their coach had to pay him $77 million to be fired, $77 million to be fired. And then on top of that, the the, uh, Texas A&M supporters said, hey, we want to offer to Kirby Smart a $100 million contract for five years, which you do the math, that's $20 million per year to coach a football team. And when I think, because I love football, you guys know that, I love college, but what you're seeing is a society that is an amazing amount of treasure directed to just how good can my football team be so I can be like, wow, look, Look, I'm I'm sporting the outfit. Man, look, my identity now is in something that is really shallow, folks, really shallow. So I'm just saying in all fields, we will kneel down and give our time, our talent, and our treasure to something or somebody. We will do that each and every time. We were designed to do that. But God has shaped that for us to be mesmerized by who he is. And that he is a God that, even though he has infinite wisdom and glory, that is even s- spoken about in the heavenlies, that here you've got this God who has come in the form of Emmanuel, God with us, clothed to a place where we can see him and, and show honor to him. Remember Moses. Moses in the wilderness says, Hey, Hey, God, I want to see you. And do you remember what God said? Nobody can see me and live. My glory is so great. Nobody could see me and live. But you know what? Cover your face, and I will pass by. And I'll give you a glance at my backside. And just with the simple glimpse of his backside the whole countenance of Moses was changed. It was just amazingly changed. That is the God you and I, I believe, have come here to worship. Man, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit through what Jesus Christ has done. We have the opportunity now to come before the Lord and Jesus came with the glory of God clothed in such a way that people could behold him. But even with, I believe it was Nathaniel who said, hey, Jesus, can you show us the Father? Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, everything in me. And so with that, we've got to kneel in honor. But second, we've got to kneel in repentance. Kneel in repentance. Because all of us are prone to fall short of the glory of God time and time again. Anybody out there with me? Yeah, we can disappoint ourselves because we know better yet in our weak times, we are prone to say, okay, God, I got it from here, okay, just kind of like the wise men, hey, you know, we're on the right track, now we got it from here, we are going to now rationalize and of course the king would be born in Jerusalem, right? And all of a sudden we start going that and it's like, nope, not here in Bethlehem, not in the capital, but a community of about 300 people. That's about as large as Bethlehem was. But see, we need to kneel in repentance. But repent, repent of what? You know, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I just have to say, Lord, I've got to repent from my disappointment in you. And and that's a very real prayer. As a Lord, I, I, at times, I just got to be honest. I'm disappointed in this. I'm disappointed in this. I'm disappointed in this. Now, it doesn't change calling. It doesn't change mission. It doesn't change any of that. It's just, Lord, I'm struggling with some things. And you know what the Lord did with me last this last week? Such a great journey. He took me to study the psalmist who wrote the song that we opened with, Psalm Psalm 95. In fact, you would not read and know that was a Psalm of David, but it's referenced in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter four or chapter five or seven or four verse seven or one of those two. It says that this is a song of David and the warning that the author of Hebrews says is don't harden your hearts. When you hear this, do not harden your hearts. Whatever you do, do not harden your hearts. Keep a pliable, soft heart. Because I know that I can spend a lot of time in vase management. <laughs> what it was, vase management. Um, it is. I want to put a lot of lacquer. And i want all this reinforced i want to paint it i want to have this so that people can look at me and say man isn't brian put together man he has his act together oh look at all that and the more i can hear that the more it's like a new layer of lacquer because i could allow it to get to my heart and not able to get me to the point where God's word says, I need to get to. And that is, not only do I bow in honor, but I bow in repentance and say, Lord, man, uh, create in me a clean heart. I know I have this in Jesus, but man, I'm in the season where it's just really tough. I'm going through tough stuff. Things aren't going the way I wished. Man, Lord, please, man, just, but I'm sorry when I take matters into my own hands. I'm sorry in the beauty 1 John says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins, and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But you know, the more that we get caught up in what other people say about us, and even sometimes the lies we believe, because there's enough in us where we just said, Well, you know, man, I, I used to do this, I used to do this, but remember, God says, "I am an I am God, not a, I was God." Today is the day that I want to do something in you, and through you. Man, I tell you, we can be in church for years and just keep working on image management. It, it can happen. What I love about Grace Spring is. More and more people are putting down the facades a little bit because the truth is we are all going through hard stuff. All of us can struggle from time to time. I think of David, why the Lord led me to David is because you know the story of David. Man, he has this mighty victory, slays Goliath, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's pretty cool. And remember that he was anointed king when even his dad didn't have him in the lineup in front of Samuel to say, hey, you know, the next king is going to come from your family jesse well jesse goes well you must be meeting these guys in the meantime david is up on the very same hills the shepherds were on when the angels talked to them david was on those very same hills and said hey you know what uh, you're needed at your father's house he was anointed king of israel anointed king of israel that's a beautiful thing he was anointed king of israel And then do you remember what happened to his life? Remember the guy he reported to was a spear-throwing king, Saul? Saul threw spears at David, and you know what David did not do? Throw spears back. Say what? Why would the Lord anoint David? David is the next king. I mean, shouldn't everything go really smooth for David? I just don't get it. It's like, okay, now you are my anointed. Now it's time for a ride. It's time for a ride. And if you study David's life for years, he had to run from an angry Saul, And then it looked like everything worked out well and that David was going to be able to end this whole thing of running from Saul because Saul was there alone in the cave and all David had to do is is get a dagger into Saul and that would have done away with that and you said yes I would have taken matters into my own hands but do you remember what David did he said far be it for me to do such a thing to the Lord's anointed okay what had his heart I just want to ask What had his heart to be able to say that? The fear of the Lord. Because David knew, hey, I have been anointed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. I've been anointed, and I know that in me I have got to live with a humble stance. Yes, I know I have the temptation each and every day to take matters in my own hands, but I will not do that leading to kneeling in submission. Lord, what would you have? Not my will, but your will be done. We read of that of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? I love the honesty of the Bible where he was saying, Lord, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. May He didn't want to go through all that he knew was going to happen on the cross, but what drove him was the will of the Father who said this, is my love for my creation. And Jesus, humbly, in submission, says, but not my will, but thy will. What, a, what an incredible picture. Y'all, um, there's a beautiful story, um, just a beautiful story recorded in three of the four Gospels. And it's a story of Mary. Mary was one who the Lord had just, she had knelt at Jesus' feet. Remember, she was the one who, instead of being busy doing stuff for Jesus, she spent time with Jesus. She hadn't forgotten her first love. And she does something very, very beautiful. Beautiful. She has this jar. This jar is just full of just beautiful, incredible, fragrant aroma perfume. The scriptures say it was about 300 days' wages worth. So that's almost a year's worth of wages that this perfume cost. And she had that. And she had that before the Lord. And, and, uh, you know, Jesus was around and there were those with him. But then she took this She took this and she did something That once she did this She would not be able to take it back Do you remember what she did? She came before the feet of Jesus And that didn't work (laughs) Do I have another one? well I do but I'm going to try this one one more time because this one was thinner it was supposed to break she took this she took this and she broke it and she broke it and she took the contents of that and, and, and she took and all of a sudden all those who were there were able to smell this amazing amazing aroma amazing aroma. But remember, once she did this act, she was not able to take it back. And what I love about the Lord is that He loves us so much. He he just said, you want to worship me? You just, whatever you're holding on to, that you feel like can give you a sense of value and all that kind of stuff, whatever you're holding on to. He says, no, just, man, break it and give it to me. But the truth is, it's only something that he can prompt from the inside out. You know, that first time I tried to break it, man, it was pretty stubborn, wasn't it? But I think, how many times can we be like that? Where it's almost like we're just too blinded that the Lord really, in this humility, is desiring to just say, no, I want to do something with you, but you're holding on. You're, you're holding on too much to thinking what other people think of you. No, once you allow some breaking, just let the beauty of what I have created in you that it'd be a fragrant aroma back to the Lord. But to get there, it took some breaking. Before the breaking, all the contents, the smell, and everything was inside the jar. And I'll tell you, I think it's a beautiful lesson. It was no accident that that did not break the first time. Cause I think for some of you, the Lord God has been trying to just say, no, I, I want you. I want your heart. I want your heart. Yeah, but I like my image. Sometimes your image just has to go out the window and say, hey, the very first thing I need to do is just humbly honor in repentance and submission and say, Lord, God, do your work at me. Do your work at me. And so here is that definition of worship. If we can just verbalize this out loud together as a family of faith, can we read this aloud together? Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done, expressed in the posture of our heart that drives how we live and what we say. And I encourage us as we... Go into a time now of prayer. My question for you is, which vase are you more like? The one that bounced or the one that broke? I tell you, it's it's only something that can be revealed between you and the Lord. Because I know me. And I know I can come up with a whole bunch of rationalizations. Hey, man, I'm a pastor. Hey, I have my devos every day. Hey, I do this, I do this, I do this. Yes. But the church in Ephesus that Jesus addresses in Revelation, he said this, man, you're doing all the right stuff. You're defending all the right stuff. Your theology is great. Your serving is great. But I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. But Jesus, you don't know the trials I've been in. Well, remember Peter's story? I mean, it was a crazy, violent storm. And Jesus is walking on the water. I'm sure there was at least five or six foot swells. And Jesus has the audacity to say, Peter, come on, excuse me. Yeah, Jesus, that's you. You're on the water, but no. I, no what, what are you doing inviting me out there in the storm? This, I don't like the storm. That looks really dangerous. But to Peter's credit, he steps out. And if you think of those waves, I'm sure there was times where it's just like, okay, Jesus, we're, okay, wow, these are big waves. And then what happens when he looks at his circumstance? He begins to sink, doesn't he? then jesus takes his hand and says no keep your eyes on me that is what worship is men and women that's what worship is keep our eyes on jesus and truly behold who he is as we respond i just want to give you a minute between you and the lord be reminded that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Just like the wise men who are driven by truth to go and take the journey to worship. May truth and spirit have their way in our hearts so that we can be worshipers this Christmas. Amen. I just want to take some time, just you and the Lord, just get between you and the Lord, wherever you are, between you and the Lord right now. And I'll close in prayer. I thank you for these moments. Lord, I thank you for the imagery of that illustration. I love that first time because I am so much like that. Where instead of breaking, I end up running. (laughs) But yet, Lord, you lovingly bring that back. And you do a work that causes me to truly break, exposing everything I'm trying to hide from you or anybody else, and for your Holy Spirit to do something beautiful in that moment. Father, every good and perfect gift comes from above, and the greatest gift is you. (laughs) And when we give you our hearts, Lord, no matter what difficult circumstance we are in. We can trust that you are a good God and that even our breaking is for our good and for your glory. Thank you for using cracked pots like us, Lord. But Lord, may we live in the humility that comes from being people. Worshippers, Lord, have your way in our hearts right now. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You know, church, if uh, you find online or here that you just want to take that step of faith and you go, you know, I, I, I may have been in church most of my life, but I, I just feel a breaking and I need some prayer, we want to pray with you at the end of service. Please don't go through that alone. Man, you you just need people to encourage you, to love on you. If you're going through a hard situation and you need us, man, we are here for you as a church, whether it's leadership or not. Man, we've got people who are committed to desiring the name of Jesus to be exalted. And the greatest way to do that is for us, I think, to pray and lift one another up Before our Lord, Amen. Let us sing.